Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. All right. Uh, Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. I have with me today Mr. John Harrison. He is a clinical psychologist. He is well-researched in the um, treatment of addiction through psychedelics, primarily Ibogaine. Um, He's been affiliated with the MAPS Institute for Psychedelic Research, and I will let him continue to introduce himself. And I, I do have to say, I'm quite excited. This is my first in-person interview. So I'm sitting here in <laughs> John's living room, getting to uh, getting to just have some one-on-one like time with somebody in person. It's pretty awesome. Welcome, John. Thanks for thanks for having me here and being on the show. Well, great, Alice. Nice to meet you in person, and uh, great to be here. Yeah, I uh, how do I introduce myself? I came to this work uh, through many many years of living. And, and was in, I went to graduate school at California Institute of Integral Studies. I really wasn't planning on going into addiction treatment, but I found myself um, it, as typically a, as a, I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> you too, huh? I, I, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I got a book on procrastination. I kept put off reading it. But, uh, <laughs> um, I... Uh, I was putting off this pre-doctoral internship that I was supposed to go for for my doctorate and um, waited so long that there was no, there was not much pickings left. So I was, I found myself at the last, at the last uh, possible moment going to an interview at a methadone clinic in uh, Oakland, California. And I um, was very resistant to it. Not my thing. Uh, you know, to me, opiates were the bad drug, the dark drug. That's how we've been conditioned mm-hmm. all of our lives. What did you want to originally study with going for your psychology degree? Did you have an area of interest that was, obviously it wasn't working at a methadone clinic originally. Um, no, I was very, very interested in, um, in well, psychedelic research for mm-hmm. sure. I, I had always been interested in, in psychedelics. I, being a, a a seasoned deadhead <laughs> had a lot of, uh, um, should we say, subjective experience. And, <laughs> did and did some things. of your own research? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, as my great teacher Julian Silverman once told me at Esalen, he said to me, he goes, you know, the best research is me-search. It's true. And so uh, he wasn't wrong. Yeah. yeah. So that's right. So so anyway, I ended up uh, – but this it was it's a long story and, and, and m- many tales to tell um, – I was interrupted in graduate school by uh, the federal government arrested me for possession with intent to distribute LSD, which just so happens I never did and mm-hmm. was not guilty of the charges, but I was convicted. And instead of you know, sub- subjecting myself to prison, I decided to take my leave. I said, no thanks, Your Honor, I don't have time for jail. Yeah, I don't blame you there. Yeah, they wanted to put me away for 24 years. I think the laws were m- much harsher at that time. It was harder, and it was the drug war, you know, at its apex, mm-hmm. and also, um, you know, uh, the culture was uh, was less, much less engaged. You know, th- things have changed so dramatically in the last 25 years. Absolutely. 
So this was while you were working at the methadone clinic, or this was after? No, this is before. Before. This is before, yeah. Okay. So then I went on this uh, sojourn, you might say, as I was a, a fugitive from injustice, which uh, I'm writing two books currently, and, and, and one of the books is an autobio about that and time. And you, you've got a fascinating story. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it's fascinating to me, too. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've lived but it. It's, but it's also, uh, you know, hopefully, not just about me, it's an allegory, really, on this insane drug war and how it's crippled our country and crippled and, and really been very debilitating for families. And, and there's, there's nothing really positive about it, I can say. Nothing really, except now that we're coming out of it, um, really glad to have survived it, really, you know. So I, I found myself uh, in that process, came out of that. I won't go into that whole story now. That would take another hour and a half, honestly. And I'll uh, give, if, if anyone is interested to hear John's story, check out his interview on uh, Chris Ryan's podcast, Tangentially Speaking, because you, you do go into, that's how I found John. And his story <laughs> is fascinating. Um, so if you don't want to wait for the book to come out... <laughs> I can link, I'll link that episode actually yeah. in the show notes for oh, anyone great. who'd that'd like be... to hear more. That way it, it could be like a two-parter with <laughs> yeah, there you go. Chris yeah, and Chris, going to more of your work. Chris was great. Yeah, it was great talking with Chris. Anyway, so yeah, so I um, went back to, after I got out of the pokey, as I affectionately called prison. Um, <laughs> I, um, uh, I, went, I went back to grad school eventually, found myself back there, and I... Um, how old were you at that time? I'm just curious. I was, uh, when I got out of prison. And when um, you went back to school? I was about 46. Okay. 45, yeah. So, yeah. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> we'll okay. keep it between yeah. us. Yeah, right. So, anyway, I uh, went back to, to grad school, and I finished my coursework and, and did well there. And then I uh, had to, get, like I said, I had to go to a, a, get a pre-doctoral internship, which is it's, sub, it's after you do the practicum work, which is on-site mm -hmm. uh, training, which was invaluable work. I mean, that's the practicum and the internship is where I learned the most. I mean, you get stuff out of books, but the most, yeah. the best learning is on-the-job training, Agreed. really, with people, especially it, as a therapist. I mean, what's better than that? Yeah, that's how you learn. And being like, I think, I mean, we had to do, we called them clinical rotations for my doctorate, uh -huh. um, and I had to do three of them, so essentially worked a year for free in those programs, but it is invaluable because you're like working with the patients and with the people. Oh, no you know? question. So yeah. things come up that you can, it's just very different when it's not an imagined scenario out of a book yeah, when it's a right. real person. Mm -hmm. And the practicums were not paid, but the internship was, which that's was nice. a wonderful thing. Uh, and that was in Oakland, uh, kind of belly of the beast stuff. I was working with, a, I had a patient load of 35, wow. um, mostly African American, um, folks. And, uh, you know, originally I went, as I said, with a big resistance to it. Oh, mm -hmm. opiates? Not really. And then, of course, what I found out was how much I loved these people and how much I respected them and how underserved they were as a population, honestly. So I found them to be very uh, compelling as a, as a group. And not everybody, of course. <laughs> yeah, know, but, sure. But, but it was, uh, it was uh, mostly uh, very rewarding, and, and I loved it, but also – in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, gee, we can do so much better than methadone. Mm -hmm. We're just putting a Band-Aid on a tumor. How, like, how does, what's the process with the methadone clinic? I know methadone is used to help people get off heroin. And mm -hmm. is it, is there a way to, is it set up so that people should be like tapered off of it? Or is it like for the rest of your life, you have to come in and get doled out this methadone at the clinic and that's just 
now you're just on the, the methadone instead of whatever the other drug was, and that's better? Is that That's a great question, and, and, and one that's asked too, few, too rarely, I think. Hmm. Um, no, methadone, it's, it's not set up. for it. They do taper when they think it's appropriate, uh, but it's not set up for that. It's set up for a, a lifelong relationship. Hmm. That in itself seems hugely problematic. Oh, it's, it, is, it is problematic. It's, it's demeaning. It's disempowering of the people. They're not in charge anymore of their own health. Here's your, here's your, here's your, um, here's your goodies. Now go to work. Mm-hmm. Methadone clinics have to open at 530 in the morning so people can get their mm-hmm. dose before they go to work in the morning. That's, it's state mandated. And they usually close about 1.30 p.m. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and my shift was at from like um, 5.30 to, to 1, 1 o'clock or 1.30, and, uh, which also didn't appeal to me very much because I had to be up at 4 in the morning every morning <laughs> in San Francisco and then commute the opposite way across the bay, mm-hmm. east going east in San Francisco. So it was, uh, it was an interesting time, but I, but I thought we can do better. We can do better than this uh, as, a, as, a, as a people, as a as human beings, we can we can help people better than just putting, a, like I said, a Band-Aid on a tumor. So methadone, uh, while it de- definitely interrupted the um, uh, withdrawal and craving of heroin, mm-hmm. it was another addiction. And if you get off methadone, that's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. And so I just go, no, no, this isn't this isn't good. So almost simultaneous to that, I I ran into uh, my old friend Rick Doblin, who's the founder and president of Maps and. Known Rick since the mid '80s. We met at Esalen one Fourth of July. That sounds groovy. It was it was groovy. Yeah, it was groovy <laughs> for sure. It was groovy because I was in the groove. I was playing drums with Ola Tunji at the time, oh. and that was really amazing. So all that was good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, djembe and that kind of thing. So anyway, Rick was there, and um, uh, but we've been friends for a long time. And he, he said, "Hey, have you considered?" Uh, would you be willing to and think about being principal investigator for a study that we're conducting in Mexico, investigating the efficacy of ibogaine in the treatment of opiate addiction? And I thought about it for about a nanosecond mm. and said, "Yeah, right up your alley." Yeah, and you know, I mean, it would mean relocating to at least San Diego, if not Mexico. And I, but I didn't hesitate. I, I said, "This is a great opportunity." And yes, and it was. I learned so much. I, I worked at a clinic in in Playa de Tijuana and. Uh, with daily contact with patients, uh, all coming there to to essentially uh, discontinue their their heroin use. Their, you know, they wanted to use the ibogaine, mm-hmm. which has been shown now. Subsequently, of course, uh, in the last two decades, well, about fifteen years later, it's been um, unequivocal. It interrupts with cycle of withdrawal and craving pretty much overnight. And primarily for, I was reading a opiates. little bit about it, primarily from opiates. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really different. I mean, it works on the neuroreceptors in the brain, and it it, uh, it, it it's a very specific to that niche mm-hmm. in terms of the physiological transformation. But that doesn't mean that it isn't useful for other medicines as well, I mean, other uh, addictions as well. Excuse me. I'm curious what kind mm-hmm. of... Um, like outcome measures or what sort of like tests and measured measures you used as in the research study itself? Like what, what were you measuring um, to, to be able to tell that it was effective? Yes. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, it was pretty obvious. I mean, at some level, I mean, I, I, I had 20, 20 patients in the, in the study. Um, and 
And this is an important point. I, I don't want to gloss over it. We're covering a lot of ground here, but, mm-hmm. but the really one of the more important points of this work is the connection you have with your with your patients, Agreed. the people you're working with. Um, they're um, it, they've been most of these folks, especially in, in, in addiction, as you know, have been therapied to death, yeah. sometimes literally. And so I think that uh, it's very important that we meet meet them where they are. Not try to take them anywhere. Not try to direct them too much. Just to meet them where they are with with compassion and understanding and acceptance and uh, and sometimes with a little uh, you know a little toughness too. Yeah. You know, like no no time for bullshit. Really, mm-hmm. it's time to be real with each other. And I I love that part of the work. I love all of it. And and of course, I loved making the connection with the people. And I wanted them to know from the get go that we were in this together. This is a partnership. We're collaborating together. Guess who knows you best? Mm-hmm. You. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, any therapist that tells you they can help you or save you, pretty much do a 180 on that. Yeah. Okay? I agree. Because they're blowing smoke up here. You know what? Or, yeah. you know, and anyone, we, therapist or otherwise. That's right. You know? That's right. So, you know, don't we don't need that. So, so I try to meet people where they are to, you know, collaborate. Let's collaborate on this. And then part of that collaboration, and, and of course, the medicine itself is amazing and i've done it three times now and it it it, and i didn't do it for addiction i did it for psycho spiritual purposes Mm -hmm. and intentions but amazing stuff it it really brings you back and the experience can bring you right back to um, early childhood experiences uh, visions you can have uh, memories come flooding back sometimes Hmm. Uh, and that's not a bad thing it can be really useful and 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 um it's, it's sometimes hard to articulate because it's so a little overwhelming at times, but it can just flood you with emotion and feeling and at some co- really core level, love, you yeah. know, it's just great. And, and forgiveness and a uh, wonderful tool. And, and so that's the medicine and it works on the, works on so many parts of the psyche and, and the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's very very liberating, really, in that sense. And so that experience lasts about 18, sometimes eight, 24 hours, even 36 at okay. the outside. Usually 24, typical. And then uh, there's a day or so of recovery because you're just trashed. Yeah, <laughs> it's like kind of depleting. Is it like ayahuasca where you're vomiting and... There, there's some... It's not like ayahuasca in that sense completely. Okay. There's, a little, there's sometimes some nausea and, and a little bit of vomiting early on. Mm-hmm. Rarely afterward. You know, it happens, but it's rare. And uh, But it is also, you know, potentially dangerous if you don't take precautions. And any upstanding... Upstanding is not the word... Um, uh, any any clinic worth their salt is going to do all kinds of tests for you. Mm-hmm. They have to use an EKG that's required from most um, is required, and then a liver panel to check your blood, diabetes, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. heart 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 condition. Very important stuff to make sure you're safe to go into the yeah the whole yeah process. that's right because there's a there's a lowering of blood pressure, and you know it's it's it can be very intense you know so but. Uh, that's not a deal breaker because people die every day on methadone and die every day on alcohol, of course, exactly, and, and, and heroin. Let's face it. So, yeah. So there's there's danger with everything we do, but but I think uh, with the right precautions, it's very safe as long as people are being honest with you and they're showing you the true mm-hmm. you know, story. 
But then, then after that, after the after the journey, there's a sort of a ah, an exhale of, of that experience. Um, then there's a now what? Right. What do you do now? You've got these insights. You've learned these things. You, you're not addicted to with opiates anymore. That's pretty. I mean, you're not withdrawing and craving. I should say there is no cure for addiction. Anyone tells you that? Again, do a 180. It's true. There's no cure. I mean, there's ways to mitigate the, the experience, and there's ways to, you know, to, to go forward. And that's really what this work's about. Mm-hmm. I, I find that the work, is exciting work for me, is, is the, I call it the continuing care. Yes. I don't call it the aftercare. Aftercare pl- implies that the experience already happened. Whereas I believe that the real experience is, is in the continuing care. The experience is after the journey mm-hmm. is when the transformation takes place. Well, because is that, I mean, and that makes so much sense to me. And I think that work is so important um, because I feel like that's when we start to, okay, like, okay, we've dealt with the kind of the physical withdrawal symptoms, but then now, like you were saying, like now what? And, and that's when I think we start, we can't cure addiction, but we can implement like new behaviors and new patterns and new like new stories of how we spend our time and um, how we relate to the world. So I feel like that continuing care is sort of the, I don't know about the meat of it, but it's as important as going through the experience. I, I think it is as important. I think it's a sine qua non, the necessary thing of, of this work is, is the, as that connection with, with a, with a, what's that? even a therapist, but a, a trusted uh, mm-hmm. ally, uh, sometimes a therapist, sometimes a physician, Someone um, who can guide you through. Yeah, a guide with a small G. Yeah, I you know, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, really, uh, I, I really wary of the uh, idea of, of taking somebody somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, as a therapist, I, I'm, and that is not that does not imply, hopefully, that I'm being passive. That I'm sitting here like, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> how, do, how do you? How do you? How do you? That, how does that make you feel? Let the record note, John is is rubbing his chin in a therapeutic <laughs> manner. <laughs> yes, you know, it's sort of like. Uh, you know, no, it's not that. It's not a passive experience. It's uh, it's it's engaged uh, with with active listening and and and, and occasional interventions when when applicable or, or uh, indicated. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, uh, what I'm noticing w- w- that's the most important thing is is it's just sort of like this amazing sense of empowerment that my patients have after they do the medicine. They, they sing, hey, I'm in charge of my own healing. I can do this. I love that. For the first time ever in some cases. Like they've been told for years, you're an addict or you're this or you're that. And right. you can't do it. You can't. You can't. You can. You can do it. And, and so I don't, that's why I've never really subscribed to the AA model very much. Even mm-hmm. though I know it's to help some people. But I think they say you're helpless. No, you're not helpless. Wrong. That's what kept me out of AA for a long time. <laughs> no, and I'm not knocking it completely. I have a yeah. really dear friend, one of my dearest friends, and he's been through it for 15, 12 years now, I think. And uh, he's doing great. And, mm-hmm. of course, he had a death sentence if he drank. Yeah. That's sort of a motivator. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> – well, I think that's why. I mean, I don't think people go into any kind of 12-step or recovery room because they're – they're in a good spot, you know. No, he had a pancreas <laughs> essentially removed. Yeah, so it's oopsie. It's quit drinking or you're dead. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's, that's the deal. That'll make you quit. That'll make it <laughs> or it quit. should. And some, and, I mean, and, sometimes and, it doesn't. And I think the AA helped him in terms of community, in terms of support, in terms of making changes in his life. And it's and he's a, an amazing example of personal transformation. And and I'm so proud of him. And of course, I love him very much. Yeah. Um, 
But I agree with you that giving people that the ability to be empowered in their own healing and, and to be, yeah, more of an active participant. I I agree with that too. And it's, it's appealing to me. And I see it a a little bit with the somatic experiencing work. I know I mentioned to you, I'm studying that work and I talk about it all the time Mm -hmm. um, because I'm, I believe in it. Like, yeah. I just see the benefits that I've had with it. And I started learning it and practicing it right around the same time I got sober. So I feel like for me, that's been a huge part of, of becoming more empowered and now being able to like do this work and share it with others for the same reason of like, Hey, like we're able to check into our own bodies and use these tools and these techniques. And yes, it absolutely helps to have a guide um, Uh and someone to help us. But these are things we can do on our own every day that really facilitate feeling good. That's right. Well, that's exactly what I do with patients after, after this experience. And it isn't just with Ibogaine. I I use other medicines too. Mm -hmm. In Mexico, I go down there and do psychedelic work with people. Not up here. It's illegal up here. Are there, so there's, um, like designated treatment centers down in Mexico. No, I do it on my own. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time in the desert with patients. Wow. I have people that show up here that want to do psychedelics. I go, well, let's put on your hiking boots. We're going for a hike. Okay. And because I don't do it here in this country, because sure. it's illegal. Um, and um, but I really want to make sure that that th- this is what something that's appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to think ever that um, it's something casual, right? You know. And so I said, put on your hiking boots. Let's go for a hike first, out of the desert for a couple hours. See how we see how we connect. See how we jive together. You know. And then. Uh, when, when we both can, when we want to go to the next level, then I I call it developing a collage of practices, like a collage of practices that work for them, mm-hmm. that they initiate, but that I help them. You know, uh, for example, you know, um, exercise, obviously, right? Um, body work if it's indicated, um, uh, meditation. I teach meditation too. I think we talked about that a little bit. We did. I'm going to pick your brain more about that because okay. I'd like yeah. to come to one of your yeah. your meditation classes. Yeah, right here in San Diego. Um, Blue Dragon Zen community. <laughs> yeah. Blue yeah. Dragon Zen community. Like I was saying, the, the, the collage of practices. And and I think they, they run the gamut. You know, they from meditation to yoga, whatever works for people to keep them in a, in a place where they can say yes to themselves, mm. where they can keep going forward in a positive way. And uh, and one thing also that's really important, especially about Ibogaine, more than other medicines, psychedelics, um, is that there's this experience of uh, what I call a window of well-being. Hmm. Some people call the afterglow. But it's wonderful in that sense. So essentially, uh, so that afterglow period is exciting because you see the, 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 the sparkle in their eyes has returned, the energy, the... The optimism, really, about what I can do in this lifetime. I can mm-hmm. do something about my life. I can, I'm in charge here. And so that is re- I want to support that, of course, reinforce it. You sure. Know? And, and then, uh, so then, then it comes, and then some of the work gets a little challenging because these folks, as I said before, they've been therapied a little too much. Mm-hmm. But I also want to, at this point, introduce them or marry their, their Ibogaine experience or their medicine experience with, I call psychedelics medicine. <laughs> I think they are medicine. Yeah, of course they I are. Mean, yeah, right. that's right. But I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. Um, and then the, that's when I want to bring Addiction Treatment 101 into the program. And that means, basically, I want people to 
have an identification of things that trigger them. Mm. Uh, just an awareness of it. It's really about awareness at some really basic level. That's, I agree. That's the work that I do. Uh, yeah. With I, have a, I, have, I haven't talked to you about this, but I have a whole other group called Occupy Yourself, the Practice of Presence. We do about four workshops a year around the country. I'll explain that later. Okay. But essentially, we, it's, our focus is awareness. Occupy yourself. I be be aware, you know, of what we're doing. I think any kind of change, I talk about this a lot. I know you said you watched one of the Facebook videos. It's almost always my bottom line is like, where, how can we increase your awareness? Yeah. Because I think that's what begets change. It sure does. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, so I, I want to have them identify those triggers. I want them to, uh, in collaboration with them, to develop coping skills to deal with those triggers. Okay. And that can run the gamut. I mean, cope, what's a coping skill? Coping skill means, first of all, you're aware of it. Mm-hmm. Then what do you do? Right. Then what's your next move? Mm-hmm. You know? And so um, maybe go for a run. Maybe go for a hike. Maybe play some music. Maybe listen to some music. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. Something that works for you to bring you into a place where it reduces that anxiety yeah. to, the, to a point then where you can meet the moment straight ahead without fear. Okay. Um, anxiety is part of living. I mean, that's not something we need to necessarily get rid of completely. Right. I think, but it's something that if we can moderate it, make sure it makes life much easier, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> it's much easier. <laughs> yeah. Be in the flow instead of yeah. constantly banging ahead, your head against yeah, the wall. And that's right. Even that's when right. the anxiety comes, like with the work I do, I found it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's much easier to meet it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that, um, and then, of course, the very important aspect of addiction, as you, I'm sure you're aware, is, is in, a, in an understanding of environment and place, mm-hmm. the people that you hang with. Absolutely. And if, and if you're, for example, if someone, for example, if someone's addicted to opiates and they get the ibogaine, their experience has been amazing and they're ready for changes, and they go back with their partner who's using, mm-hmm. they'll still use again. Yeah. That's almost invariable. Not always, but 99%, literally. It's pretty intense. I mean, how do you not use when someone's dirty, they're using? Right. Especially if you're lovers with them and sleeping with them and every day together. Yeah, of course. No, no, no. So it's that's a tough one for a lot of folk. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just because you got to then you've got to sever some connections that are very meaningful to you, and that can be very anxiety producing and 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 ultimately very sad. Yeah. And so there's no one wants to face that sadness. And we all we all avoid sadness. Mm-hmm. Please, thank you very much. You know, <laughs> so we don't need that. Right. So I think that. Uh, if we and if we approach that that ulti- and sometimes that's a decision that has to be made for their own health, and if we help them approach that with some um, compassion, with some understanding, some empathy for them, it makes it so much better and easier for them to do that. Not always successful, yeah. but mostly it, that's the idea. And then and then they can get on with their own life. That's something to really consider. So those those factors, environment, triggers, coping skill me- mechanisms for mm-hmm. coping. And then those, that's addiction treatment 101, really. That's what that is. It's like, okay, that's what they'll send. Hey, when you go to a rehab center, they're going to do those things for you. Mm-hmm. They leave out the Ibogaine <laughs> <laughs> because they can't do it or they choose not to. And it's it's ironic to me that, you know, I, I it's been unequivocal now for, oh, well, unequivocal for 15, 20 years about Ibogaine, it's, it's, it's properties to unequivocally interrupt mm-hmm. addiction. It doesn't cure addiction. It interrupts it. 
as I like to say in lectures, I, I'll do this, and it's a corny pun, but I say it stops heroin in its tracks. Oh, the- <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a corny pun. I know it is. <laughs> That's it- kind of the reaction I get, too. It's corny. <laughs> I like corny yeah, jokes. Yeah, me too. So, but basically, it's true. Though. Mm-hmm. It does. It stops it in its tracks. And it really, uh, however, then you've got to take over. Then you've got to take, you've got to drive the car yourself. Right. Um, so that's the deal. So it's, it's endlessly fascinating and, and rewarding this work. I, it's a, the name of my book in, in process right now, in progress right now, it's called witness to transformation. Do you talk about, um, case studies a little bit? Uh-huh. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh yeah. People always I mean, like to hear stories. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, uh, and sometimes they don't end well. Yeah, that's the sad part. <laughs> and, and, well, yeah, but it's sad. But then what, I ha- what I've noticed is even when they don't end well, the person that's gone through this treatment, I begin particularly, but other things too, they're changed. Yeah. There's been a, a little, even if it's an incremental change, like if they go back to using, they'll do less. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll, they know that health is, is not an impossible goal. So it's changed their, it's kind of like a little bit of a pattern interruption almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like wellness is really possible for me. Yeah. I can do that. That's huge to give to someone. It's huge. And to and have that like internally um, actualized too, like to have it on that more felt sense. It's really true. It's really true. So that's, you know, it's just for me as a therapist, as a, as a human being, really, it's endlessly interesting and, and compelling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Does it work with, and I don't, I don't know if this is too, I don't know, neuroscience of a question, but does it like interrupt neurotransmitters like with the opioid receptors? Oh yeah, that's exactly what it does. Okay. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, it does, but it doesn't like, for example, uh, we've tried it with everything. We've tried it with nicotine, mm-hmm. alcohol, cocaine, methamphetamine, and it, and it can work with those things. But not in the same way. Okay. It physiologically doesn't work the same way. But any psychedelic, in my view, is a is a reset button. Can be potentially a reset mm-hmm. button. And and it means that oh okay well I remember the first time I did mushrooms a long long time ago. I I said oh my god why do I drink alcohol at all ever? Yeah. <laughs> that was the question I asked myself. Yeah. And I, and I still enjoy alcohol in moderation. Mm-hmm. I do now. I mean I I do. Um, and, and I mean, one of the reasons I got into this work is my brother, my late brother, Jimmy died of alcoholism. I mean, that was, you know, a terrible experience. It's devastating to watch. That's he died a month before my trial. Wow. That's part of it. It's all in the book. Yeah. But it's, 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 you know, it was devastating for my family and, and me personally. And, and, and I never even had a chance to grieve him because I was going into trial for my life essentially. Right. Um, but that's another story. But the point being, though, that, um, you know, I, w- I wish that I knew, ne- knew then what I know now, you know, because I think I could have maybe made a difference in his life mm-hmm. more than I did then. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to know what to do, I think, when that's, when you don't know what to do, you know? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> it's, and I think addiction is, is really tough, you know, because, <sighs> you know, if you're not trained in it or... I don't know. It's it's hard to see someone that you love just going down that decline and not really know where to step in. Yeah, you know, and 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 do so with with without judgment and and with with with, with compassion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sometimes hard, especially with addicts, as you know. I mean, addicts. How can you tell an addict is lying? 
Their lips are moving. Yeah. Okay. It's true. It's so <laughs> no. true. So the, and then when someone lies to you 40 times, it's hard to it's hard to find that place in you where you're going to feel gentle with them. You want to smack them. Yeah, and be like, wake <laughs> up. Can't you see what you're doing? Yeah, I know. And, and you know, don't lie to me. I mean, that feels doesn't feel good to be lied to. No. I mean, and, that's just a personal thing, you know, but it's true. And so. it doesn't. I was thinking this morning driving here, actually, just like how wonderful it is to be completely clear and true in all of my dealings because my <laughs> life wasn't always that way. And I was excited to come talk to you. And I forget what spurred that thought, but I just took a moment. I was like, man, this is like such an awesome way to be in life. You know, it, it, it really is an awesome way to be in it life. It really is. Um, yeah, it's really true. Awe inspiring. I heard on a podcast the other day how much we overuse the word awesome. I think I'm I, guilty I agree of that. With you. But some, you know, some <laughs> things really are awesome. I know. But when you said awe inspiring, you know, it made me think, Ah, oh, I like A-H-H-H that. H H H inspiring. Uh-huh. It's awe inspiring, and and it's sort of like I. It's funny. I make fun of the awesome word because I. I it's overused. It is very overused, and I like that you I know. heard that the other day because I've said that for a while. I use it too much, but now that was an I'm, awesome cup of coffee. Now not I'm, really, it was good though. I, know, I just took an awesome dump. Not really. You know, I'm so glad you shared that with me, though. Thank you. It was pleasing. I like saying it was, yeah, it was pleasing. Pleasing. Very pleasing. Yeah, you know things like that. You know, so I I think that um, you know I this work is is endlessly captivating and interesting and and yet what's interesting to me also is that we've known about this for a long time now and the big farmers not budging no they they won't do clinical trials with it because clinical trials are prohibitively expensive mm-hmm. there's no money to be made with ibogaine because it's a plant and there's only essentially maybe three administrations i mean the one is the big one when you you know and then maybe two subsequent administrations unless they completely fall off the wagon and come back and do it again Mm -hmm. but there's no ongoing protocol where you take ibogaine right doesn't exist and isn't that great (laughs) it's great but on the other hand the the pharmaceutical companies don't want any part of it they can't make any money at this no and what's not great is that people who could really use this treatment you know we all know we're in this opioid crisis yet you know here's something that we we have researched i mean you can go to the maps website and look up some of the ibogaine trials um yeah well maps has done some work on that and uh uh, there needs to be more work done on that yes Um, yeah it's it's uh I, I, I want to support that. I, I'm also very wary of the medicalization okay. of, of psychedelics. I, I'm, you know, that's another, that's more of a political. Right. Um, I mean, I think we're slowly heading that way. We are. I, and I'm not happy about it, honestly. I, I, I really, I really, um, the reason I'm not happy about it is because I think that my experience has told me that we really can't trust the medical profession I think we need as work. a profession they're essentially in the hands of they're in the hands of pharma pharmaceutical companies and then we're in the hands of doctors and and i can't remember that that's the ad by kaiser you're in the hands of doctors i think of george carlin <laughs> saying that you know and i go i go god i, I have the conjure up this vision of somebody with their hands around my ball sack <laughs> <laughs> not in the good way i'm guessing no it doesn't feel good at all please get your hands you know and the thing is is that <laughs> And the thing is, is that I really, I don't know that that's, is that something we want? Maybe decriminalization, yes. Yeah. But these medicines have been around a lot longer than modern medicine. It's true. And so maybe, and I'm not on a soapbox about it, but I think it's something to really be wary of. 
I, I think it's a good, yeah, good things to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as somebody who is, I'm in the medical profession and I think for, I think there are a lot of really good practitioners there. Like I adore my own doctor, but I go, you know, I go to Kaiser to talk about one thing and then I'm hit with like 500 bills, even with insurance. She has oh, yeah. 10 minutes to spend with me because she's got her paper. So it's just, it's, I don't know what the solution is. You well, know, you know what I have to say, I, I have mixed feelings myself because I just had a, a cancer surgery this summer. Oh, wow. I had a melanoma on my tummy mm-hmm. and I, I thought it was just a little bump. And I, I was in my dermatologist, my regular dermatologist, because I'm a fair haired boy when I have hair. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he, and I said, well, he checks me out and then I'm getting ready to leave and he goes i guess we're all done i go what about this right <laughs> and, raised, and, and he didn't even look he didn't even check my body really no no he never did and so i'm going wait a minute so it turned out he was more cosmetology okay that's as common in san diego oh yeah southern you know, california is sure and 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 i said well wait a minute what about this and he looked at it he goes we're cutting that off so he, he immediately knew okay there's a problem but he you're immediately i give him it. credit for that uh, so four days later i found out it's malignant wow and melanomas are you know, notably aggressive. Yes. And they can kill you. Yeah. And they do kill people a lot. And so if I had not raised my shirt that day in his office back in June of this year, mm-hmm. I would be, I'd still have cancer growing in me. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's the, real. Yep. It's very real. So, you know, I'm kind of on a little bit of a soapbox about the, sure. um, get in your dermatologist's face, make them check every square inch of your body. Yep. Up every crack, up every orifice, wherever they have to go. Right. I, no joke, actually. And I think with with medicine in general, I had a I did an interview yesterday with a woman who specializes in gut health, and we were talking about how when she really got to the root of what was going on with her after like two decades of frustrating, you know, different things. Uh-huh. Um, she went to a functional medicine doctor and they actually like went through everything with her and finally yeah. came up with, okay, here's what we think is wrong, here's our plan to move forward. And, right. Um and I tell this to my patients as well, like you have to be an advocate for your own health care, whether, you, you know, if that's lifting your shirt up, if it's keeping <laughs> records and, yeah. you know, and, and having to go to different doctors, but it's frustrating and it's really hard and not everyone has the resources to do that. That's right. That's right. And you know what? That's what I was trying to say though. I, I, when I say, you know, I'm not against medical, I, I have so many dear friends who are physicians mm-hmm. who do great work sure, all the time. And so I, I'm not in any way slamming them. But I think we need to be really wary and not to abdicate the responsibility of our own health mm-hmm. to anyone, doctor, whoever. I agree. Yeah. So that's important. And and I think that these medicines that have great utility um, and value are, are useful right now. We don't need to wait until they're legalized. We don't need to wait until that uh, med- the medical profession gives its big okay right. on this because that may never come. And meanwhile, people are dying, people are hurting, suffering, and we need to do what we can to stop that. Yeah. And so part of that is making these things available to folks who can use them. Have you, um, are you familiar with, there's a a program that is for, um, it's for medical professionals, psychotherapists, it's start, it's, it's for kind of what you're talking about, like continuing care after psychedelic treatment. Um, My therapist actually told me about it because she wants to apply and I can find the name of it for you. It's just interesting that that's... What is it, though? I mean, it's some kind of like a... I don't know if it's postgraduate. It's a program to help people sort of to do... I don't psychedelic. Oh, there's, one, there's one at CIS. No, I think that's school. probably, that's yeah, probably it. The, the, the problem with that is, and it's, it's got its utility, but it, my view, uh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of like, okay, yay. 
Oh, that's great. It brought a lot of money into CIS. And, and, you know, I think the intentions may have been really good at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But here's a little, you know, fun fact. They don't use psychedelics in the training. Really? How can they? Yeah, that's there's, true. There's, they're, they're not allowed to. Oopsie. So it's all theoretical. Uh, yeah, all theoretical. Well, we can get that out of books mm -hmm. and from lectures. And that's what they basically do. So they pay, they bring people in that are well-known to give lectures and they talk and they pat each other on the back and tell how each other how great a work they're doing. And, and they are doing great work. Mm -hmm. you know? But on the other hand, okay. It's not experiential. No, and, and, and 10K to do that program? No. Yeah, it's not cheap. I don't, I don't think so. And so, you know, the thing is, is that um, the people that are running this program, ironically, just a few short years ago, were working underground. And uh, and now, of course, they're poo-pooing that, saying that's not okay to work underground. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. So, you know, do the math on that one. Right. So that's interesting, too. So I've, if I'm coming at this with a bit of an arched eyebrow, that's why. Sure. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, who's really showing up in their truth mm -hmm. here? And and so, so a lot of the folks who've done the hard work in these things have been doing it underground and been doing it um, in the shadows a bit. But guess what? A lot of good work gets done in the shadows. Just, just ask most Jungians. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll tell you that for sure. Uh, and I know there's a few a few trials, I think, with DMT, with uh, PTSD and veterans. Oh, MDMA has been really useful okay. for that. Okay, MDMA, that's what the, not that DMT. Was the work. Yeah, that's the work that MAPS has led the way on. I'll give them major credit for that. And Mike Midhofer and his wife, Annie Midhofer, mm -hmm. amazing people, doing great work. Um, and, uh, you know, that's really been the cornerstone of, of MAPS uh, fundraising drives. For the last, what, 20 years now? I think that's how I was exposed to MAPS. Could you talk a little bit about what MAPS is? Just because I think you will do it, a, you will give a better explanation than I am for people listening who may well, not know. Well, I don't know. work for anymore. Okay. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got that wonderful ability to speak truth, truthfully about them. I don't have, I'm not covering my butt mm -hmm. at all. I think MAPS uh, intentionally, when Rick's, Rick came up, I, when I was there three months after Rick started MAPS, I, that's when I met mm -hmm. Rick. Doblin, who's the founder. What does MAP stand for? Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. That's it. You know, I, I exciting at that time. We were like blown away. Great, Rick, that's wonderful. And I mean, within ten minutes of meeting him, he was on my leg for money. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure they need it, right? Oh well, he did. He's raised over raised over forty million in the last forty years. Wow. Last thirty. How's it now? Yeah, 33, 34 years. He's raised forty million dollars. So that's. Not too shabby. So he's good at it. Mm -hmm. He got his doctorate in in, um, in uh, public policy from Harvard, and and he's a, he's a he's a astute politician and and with a good heart. Good. Uh, and, and Rick's an old friend, and I I love and respect Rick. I don't always agree with Rick, um, but I think that he's uh, somebody who uh, has good in has integrity and means to do the good thing. Means to do right. I don't think he. He's. He, I think sometimes what's happened. What this has gotten a little too money top top heavy mm -hmm. with money, and I think that that's just my opinion from a distance. I'm not involved in the inner, in and outs of what they're doing, the work that they're doing there uh, anymore. But I I uh, I enjoyed when he asked me to come to Mexico and work um, in this pilot study of mm -hmm. ibogaine uh, research. I I was so excited about it. And sure. Of course, it wasn't sexy. Ibogaine's not sexy. You know, like MDMA is. 
It's, <laughs> it's, easy. it's easy and it's fun and it's you've done it probably. MDMA? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, well, you should know if you did it. <laughs> it was either MDMA or DMT. Oh, those are very, very different. But anyway, the point is, is that these things have utility. They're great. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ibogaine was always the dark drug. It was like, hmm. it was the father. Ayahuasca is the mother. Mm-hmm. You know, and okay, maybe. I don't know. No, not all that. You know, let's not o- overstate the case. Point is, Ibogaine was not a, considered a very sexy drug. It had, had some danger signs around it. As I said, you mm-hmm. have to be careful. MDMA, no. User friendly. Here, have 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 a dose. Mm-hmm. Go have a ritual together. That'd be great. It l- is lasts <laughs> for a less. Isn't MDMA sort of a quicker experience? It's very quick. It's very. It's relatively gentle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I love you. Yeah. You know, that kind of. A, <laughs> I, think I love I this table. <laughs> this table is really cool. <laughs> so you know, like. It's sort of like that. Um, but on the other hand, too, I don't want to dismiss it because it's a wonderful tool for relationships. Mm-hmm. I was teasing Rick one time. We were at a conference in Ibiza together, uh, an ayahuasca conference. And I was saying, God, if if, if being in a relationship was on the D, DSM-5, mm-hmm. I guess it was the 4 then, if it was, if it was in the DSM-4, MDMA would already be legal because it would, it would, it would be so – it's so good for relationships. It's good for – for opening one's heart, hmm. it's a great tool for that. It's a wonderful tool to t- to check in with your empathy, your connection with someone. Great for that, and and that can be really good as a post journey for a, a stronger psychedelic. I think mm-hmm. in terms of accepting and processing some of the things that have happened, I think it's very uh, has a great utility there. And I think Sasha Shulgin, who kind of reinvented MDMA, didn't invent it, but he reinvented it, rediscovered it back in the. I guess the seventies, maybe okay. even this early, late, even earlier, maybe it was the sixties. But he, um, he, he would say that, you know, he'd say, "Yeah, this is this is good stuff." I remember when I first met Sasha Shogun. I don't know if you know who that is. I don't. Oh, brilliant guy. Somebody you should know about. He's brilliant, and he passed away a few years ago. But he was, you know, amazing teacher, and um, I knew him because he testified at my trial. And wow. Oh yeah, it's just a whole other story. But I. Um, I also, I, when I first met him, it was at Esalen Institute. That's where I used to live a long time ago. And uh, so I uh, I went, went down there with some friends back in the, this is like the late 80s, mm-hmm. 87 or something. And uh, I just, you know, I was just went down on a more random night, you know, and I took with some friends and it just coincidentally, we took some MDMA. I know, what a shock. So we did this at Esalen this night. What a place to do it. Too. I know, it was great. Yeah, in the baths, and the hot baths. Ugh. Fantastic, yeah. And I used to live there, as I said, so I was pretty familiar with the scene there. And so anyway, um, I'm in this bath with my friends, and, and I'm hearing these people in the next bath. This guy goes, you're absolutely right, Sasha. And I said, oh, my God, that's Sasha Shulgin. And then he was holding court about MDMA. And, oh, wow. And he was, you know, I thought he was standing up, but he was so tall. He was sitting on the edge of the bath. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, mm-hmm. And I go, oh, I told my friends, that's Sasha Shogun. They had no idea who I was talking about. They had no clue. They didn't know. Okay, whatever. So anyway, I waited stealthily uh, <laughs> until we got out of the bath, right? Because I was, I, was, I was overwhelmed and I was high, right. by the way. So, you know, I'm, I'm waiting until he gets out of the bath. And, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I went and met him in the shower at Esalen. The shower. You've been to Esalen? Oh, yeah, a few yeah, times. So, you know, the shower. So, you know, I went in the shower and, I, and I, I'm looking up to him. He's 6'5 or something, you know. I'm a little <laughs> shrimp. And he, and he, and he, 
And I go, you're Sasha Shulgin, thank you. And he goes, yes. And, and I go, thank you so much. And he has a, you know, kind of a Colonel Sanders, well, yeah, thanks. You know, and, 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 then I, and I go, I just want to thank you so much for, for this medicine. It's so profoundly amazing and beautiful. And he goes, well, you know, he says, well, you know, for some people it's like snake oil. But really it's already in you. It's in you. Mm. And he was right. Yeah. It's not something outside of us. What we discover in these me- with these medicines at their best is some part of ourself mm. that has not yet been tapped, that has been maybe fallow, needs to be um, invigorated. Yeah. So that was great. And, and so, uh, uh, so he was right. This medicine has its va- value, and, and all these things do, and they're also limited. You know, the whole thing about the psychedelic renaissance, you mm-hmm. know? Sure. Yeah, sure. Great. And, and yet it's, it's not all about that. These things remind us of who we are, who we always have been. Yeah. And it's not something that's new. It's not the latest sliced bread. Right. You know, the new, the new trend. Um, kind of it is actually the latest yeah. trend, but it isn't something that's new. It's, it's something that, uh, you know, it, it points us to something inside of ourselves. And that's the part that excites me mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a therapist, as a human being, really, is the, is the part of ourselves that's gone uh, un, um, that hasn't been nourished enough, our inner, our inner selves. We've, 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 we've somehow forgot about that. Yeah, we're overstimulated, I think, in so many different arenas that it's almost like we don't give ourselves time or we don't even... Mm-hmm acknowledge how important it is to take that time to to go in and do some inner exploration that's why i teach every patient whether they want to or not mm-hmm. <laughs> i teach them how to meditate yeah it's it's a cornerstone no charge no extra charge yeah here you go <laughs> this cracks me up when people charge people to meditate i go what what are you talking about <laughs> you know that's insane to me so basically though but it's important to find that place inside of ourselves mm-hmm. i remember ramdas talked about that in mm-hmm. his book be here now what's that place inside of ourselves that that where we can go that's okay. That we're okay. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we how do we nurture that? Yeah, yeah. You're speaking my language from this completely other point of view, um, and I love it because it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. yeah. Where do we feel okay? Yeah. How do we build more of that in our lives? That's right. How do we allow for more of it in our lives? Yeah. And and as and again, I mean, I was, I was just looking at that book by Paul and Michael Paul. Oh, one I here. love him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you read this. I haven't. This is new one, right? That's new. Yeah, it's about, about a year and a half now. Okay, newer. But he, newer, <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's 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 good. It's a good one if you don't if you're not familiar with the with the genre of the the psychedelic thing. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's interesting, uh, and also with an asterisk because okay, great. He he came along at the right time. He's very very opportunistic, and he was also not completely wrong. Most of the things he said were. At least close to being true. Mm-hmm. Not all of them were, but you know he was trying his best. Good writer, for sure. He is. But I, you know, I honestly, I think that part of the thing that's missing here, part of the, for me, the important point that's not discussed enough is where are we come on, where are we coming, where have we come from, and where are we going on our inner journey? That inner journey transcends psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that goes much, much deeper and more profound. And that's why the meditation, and that's why I think 
you know, like I said, a collage of practices and also a collage of medicines and techniques mm -hmm. to take us to a place that's more whole and more healthy and more fulfilled as a human being. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And I... Yeah, I love the way that, that you that you practice and that you approach the psychedelic medicine and having that collage. Um, I think it's hmm. yeah, as we've said, it's important. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I listen. I'm, I'm. Uh, you know, at one time in my life, I was all excited about. It. In fact, when I got out of the pokey, <laughs> you were excited about a lot of things. Well, I, I was excited about everything, and I remember one time I'm walking out of this conference again. Rick Doblin shows up. I'm walking out of the conference in in San Francisco. It was on ayahuasca. It was a great conference. Mm -hmm. And Ralph Metzner, who just recently passed, rest in peace, Ralph. Uh, and, um, um, and Terrence McKenna had just died wow. at that time. And at that conference, it was April of, uh, uh, I think it was March or April of uh, the year uh, um, 2000, right at the turn of the, of the century. And uh, Rick, I'm walking out there. I remember going to lunch with Rick, and he goes, "Why don't you? Why don't you do psychedelic research, John? I just got out of the prison. I just go, you're getting ready to go back to grad school." And he goes, "Hey, Rick." I go, "Rick, hey, you know, um, I don't think so. You know, I don't want to be the psychedelic guy, mm -hmm. quote unquote. You know, I don't want to be that guy. I want to do. I want to do real, really solid work. And of course, it turns out that it is solid work." But I was kind of resisting that, you know, that um, labeling. You know, sure. So, yeah. so anyway, um, you know, I, I think that the thing that really brought me back into it was, was the, the positive effect that had on addiction. And, and that I, I think that people um, need all the tools they can, they can have at their, at their command for these things. And that's one of them. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. Um, well, thanks so much for talking with me today, John. Sure. And how can, I know we're doing this for an hour, almost an hour. Okay. I would like, well, you know, we'll go a few more minutes cause I'd like okay. to hear, <laughs> I'm going to ask you this anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I'll give you, I will give you an opportunity to have a soapbox too. If there's anything <laughs> that you want. Oh yeah, sure. I have a, I have a few soapboxes. Not really, not really. I'll, I'll give a few plugs maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I'll so give you a chance to plug. Sure. Um, but I wanted to ask you and then we'll get to the plugs. I promise. Okay. Um, this may be one of them. All right, yeah. I wanted to ask you about your meditation group that you do here in oh, San Diego, because yeah. I'd like to um, come check that out. And I, I know some of my listeners are local. So oh, that would be great. Yeah, yeah they might want to wonderful. as well. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, let me see. Uh, we, our name is Blue Dragon Zen Community. And uh, we meet every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. at 9025 Balboa Avenue, which is the, the home of the... Uh, um, healing hands, um, massage school. You said Wednesday at seven. That's right. Okay. It's the home of the down. healing hands massage school, 9025 Balboa Avenue. And there's no charge of course. Uh, and, and healing hands has kindly offered us this space. So Beautiful. we're utilizing it, um, uh, one night a week right now. Um, it usually goes from about seven to eight thirty or so, eight forty-five sometimes. Uh, and we, we usually have a sitting period and then, uh, we'll take tea together, and then um, some of one of us. Lately, it's been me more than anyone giving a little talk about something about mm -hmm. practice, meditation, um, 
you know, just something that catches our fancy. Mm-hmm. I just got back from Greece. I talked about that the other night, how traveling is like is an amazing tool to personal development. It's growth. You know, everything's new. You have to be, you know, the key, the most important element in someone that's traveling is to have a flexible mind. 100%. <laughs> Otherwise, you just get frustrated all the time. I know. So you just got to be flexible and go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. I love that about travel. It's true, huh? Yeah. So there, there's that. And then, and then we'll, so we're, uh, uh, we're affiliated with the Pacific Zen Institute, uh, loosely affiliated, I will say. Uh, my teacher is a, a Roshi or a Zen master there. And uh, um, we, we really, we, our nickname for our little group here in San Diego is, um, uh, well, Blue Dragon Zen community is our name, but our nickname is Warm Hearted Zen. I like that. Because it's true. I mean, we really want to people to not, oh, I got to go to meditation. It's not a thing. It's like, you know, we, we do think, I, I was telling this just a couple of weeks ago to a friend uh, in our group. I said, you know, it's like you brush your teeth, you exercise, you eat, you sleep, you shower, et cetera. And, and we meditate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's not make too big a deal out of it or too little of a deal out of it. It's it's part of our life. It's it's what we do. It's not a thing. Right. It's like a daily and, daily practice. Yeah. And then when we get to come together, what happens from that is exactly what I was hoping for. This kind of really rich, fertile area where people are sharing their feelings, their thoughts, their um, uh, without a lot of um, filters. Mm-hmm. Like this is just who I am, and I'm showing up here honestly, and and. What what a lovely thing that is! It's beautiful. Yeah, and 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 so the conversations can go many ways. I, after the talk, we'll have a conversation again with T, and usually we end by no later than eight forty five or so. Okay. Uh, and so it's very easy and, and fun, and like I said, no charge. And uh, if you want to call and talk to me, about I'll give you my number. I don't have any problem with that. It's four one five nine 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 three seven four eight. My email is j a k a i. L-E-B as in boy at hotmail.com. You're welcome to call me or, or email me. Uh, and then um, the other little plug I'll make is I, sure. cause I do these workshops four times a year about with my partner in crime. Uh, El, her name's Ellen Watson. Okay. And she, uh, I, I used to live at Esalen. She's a, a dear friend of mine. And, and uh, she's been teaching there for 30 years. Wow. Um, teaches yoga, massage, movement, um, and, uh, and my training was mostly in gestalt mm-hmm. and also body work. And, uh, and so, and then we also, so we have a three-way marriage is what we've done. We call, we call this group Occupy Yourself, the Practice of Presence. And it's a three-way marriage between Five Rhythms Movement, or mm-hmm. a variation of which Ellen was certified as a teacher in. You're familiar with Five Rhythms? It's kind five of, Rhythms? It's kind of a, um, should we say an ecstatic or a a um, freeform dance okay. modality that was founded by a woman by the name of Gabrielle Roth. Okay. Who was a, a wonderful teacher. And, That's a familiar and name. Ama- amazing human being. And uh, all these practices were developed at Esalen. And the other uh, part of our triumvirate there is uh, it's called holotropic breathwork. It's a deep breathwork that simulates or mimics the psychedelic experience. Because hmm. Stan Groff developed that. Stan Groff is a very famous psychiatrist, psychedelic researcher. He lived at Esalen for many years, and he, uh, uh, when es- when psychedelics were made illegal in 1967 or so, he said, "I got to go elsewhere. I got I got this work is too powerful to just leave on the you know on the trash heap." 
So we developed this practice called holotropic breathwork. Wonderful. Which is amazing. Wow. And, and it's, it's profound in its own right. And so, and then we combine that, those two practices with the third uh, part of the three-way is a Gestalt awareness practice, which was founded by Dick Price, uh, who was the, uh, one of the co-founders of Esalen Institute back in the early 60s. Mm. And uh, I studied with Dick and then more, more profoundly with his, with his wife, his widow, uh, Chris Price, Christine Price, and uh, a wonderful teacher. And so we uh, were fortunate enough. That we've, what we've done is kind of blend these and make it a hybrid out of this over a weekend. Mm -hmm. And we've had amazing turnout and transformations with people, and they just love what we're doing. Wow, it sounds and great. It is great. It's fun. When's the next one? <laughs> You're selling me on it. I'm all right, great. Cool. That'd be great to have you. <laughs> you said uh, you do them all over the country? Well, we're trying, we'll do at least two a year in San Diego. Oh, good. And so, and then and we're trying to do one in Santa, Santa Fe. Okay. Um, and Santa Cruz, a lot of Santas mm -hmm. in the project. And then we're going to do a one in Asheville. Oh, cool. And then one in uh, New York. So we, we're good. We've got some plans. We've got a Take it to the next level. It's it's it, get it get it some momentum with it. It's, yep. it's but it's coming together and we love it. And what, the best part of it for me is these amazing people that I get to meet. Yeah, and they come with open hearts and and open minds, which is all that's really required to be mm -hmm. in the workshop. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. Do you have a date for the next one? Or are you still we do in not the, yet? Okay, planning phases. That, that directly yet. That's all right. <laughs> when you do, I can. Um, Post that. I was going to say post it on my website, but that's still a work in progress. So it's mine. Too. So it's mine. Oh my God, the work in progress. And my webmaster, if you're listening, Chanel, I'm working on it. I know, she's really, too. she's very, she's like really patient with me. That's good. Yeah. Well, there's always so many things to do. And, um, uh -huh. you know, it sounds like you're like me. We're working with, working with people is the, the primary joy and, and, um, you know, focus. So that's really true. Some of the other that, things, that's, that's really, all the other, well, it's all people, isn't it? At some level, the, the meditation group, mm -hmm. the movement or the occupy yourself group, my personal, my private practice. I love that. You know, like I was just talking to actually not too long ago, I was talking with Rick, Rick Goblin about it because mm -hmm. I said, well, you're working more in the macrocosm. I'm really enjoying the microcosm a lot. Mm -hmm. And I've done a lot of toxic conferences and lectures around the world. At different conferences and things, and, and I still do them from time to time. But I really like the one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, it's 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 the most um, for me. It's it impacts me the most, and I also feel like uh, it brings out the best in me. I can really yeah. just show up mm -hmm. and be straightforward with somebody. Sometimes when you're in a public forum, it's a little harder. To yeah. Do that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Something with that one-on-one, -on -one where I know when I'm being completely, when I'm helping somebody else to kind of track their nervous system or to be completely present, like I have to be present, you know, and even sitting here speaking with you, it's really nice just to have the it's connection true. of like, Hey, we're in our it's, bodies. It's true. This is it? great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's easier one-on-one -on -one, I yeah. think, or small groups. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So my main work is my private practice here in San Diego and I love it. And, uh, you know, and I work with, I work primarily with addiction, but I also work with depression and, and I do some couples work as well, which I love. And yeah. and I've got right now a, a, a woman that is going to work with me with couples. Cause I think it's important if you're working with, especially a heterosexual couple, mm -hmm. it's important that you have a, um, uh, a, a partner that's a, a female mm -hmm. or a male and vice versa. I think it's important because you don't want to have alliances with people with too much, you know, about gender just to be, just to show up more as a, you know. Yeah, it covers more of the, the spectrum. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. 
So for your private practice, um, same thing, people can just reach out to you if they want to work with you or find out more information, email, right. email you or give you a call. Yeah, email's great for the initial okay. contact. Sure. And yeah, I'll um, then we can follow up with a phone call. Okay. I I'll, think, I'll make sure I list your email too if, if you're comfortable with yeah, that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I list the email, probably yeah. more than the phone number. Sure, yeah. I don't and, just, at least initially. And then yeah. if someone wants to work, then we'll check in and then we'll uh, follow up. It's great. Yeah, it I sounds great. It, you know? It's wonderful. Yeah. 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 Great right. to meet you, Alice. You too. Thanks so much for coming on, John. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll post John's links and um, maybe a link to Maps, too, if anyone's interested in that. You can check the show notes. And, yeah, we'll sign off here. Okay. Take care. Thanks. You too.